0: Chapter 9. Our acceptable picture of ourselves is derived from our original perfection given to us in the moment of our creation by God. Our perfection is grounded in God's prefection, that is, in the perfection of God Himself before the beginning of the process which we call the movement of time. God is eternal self-presence, simultaneous self-activity of infinite spirit, perfect in his immediacy of his will. Time is the playing out of God's simultaneity in a sequence of separate activities. What, for mankind, would be incomprehensible in its infinite pattern, the wholeness of the divine plan, becomes comprehensible by presenting it in a series of separate moments of action, which moments in their totality will constitute, when finished, the pattern of human history and the cosmic evolutionary process. Mankind's perfection, when finally attained, will be the prefection, the before-time perfection Of the eternal divine spirit. To attain this perfection we have to go through the stages of the evolutionary development of mankind in the order given to us. We cannot skip a step without missing an opportunity for gaining a level of self-understanding. When we have watched our physical body's actions and reactions, and our likes and dislikes, we can go on to watch the mentational processes we call thinking. Thinking is the presentation of ideas, one after the other, in what we call the serial or sequential process. This aspect of man's activities bears certain resemblances to the processes occurring in a computer, which plays back whatever has been programmed into it. But a man is not a computer. A computer cannot disobey the instructions fed into it. A computer is built to compute from information given to it. It is not built to be arbitrary. A computer is not free to choose what to do without reference to data supplied to it. Thus, a computer cannot freely decide to make an offering of itself to its maker. A computer is not a free spiritual being. But a man is a free spiritual being, and so can refuse to consider information given to him. He is not compelled, unavoidably, to process the data fed into him by his environment in a set way, and to react to it in a predictable manner. Man can ignore data offered to him, can distort and misrepresent what is said to him, and can give irrelevant responses, something impossible to a computer in good working order. In watching our mental processes, the ideas that pass in sequence through our mind, we quickly become aware that they do not always follow each other in a strictly logical order. They jump from one subject to another, abandon one train of thought for another, make sudden digressions or stray associations, and generally behave as if no purposeful person were in charge of them. Why should this be so? We derive the content of our mind from two sources, from without and from within. From outside, by means of our sense organs, we gain information about the things, events and relationships of these, as they occur in the world about us. From inside, we gain sensations from our physical body and its organs, tissues and cells, and their different states of tension, and their functional processes we also receive contributions from our uncontrolled imagination, from our hidden hopes and fears and unconscious memories of past pleasures and pains. Our mind, then, presents itself to us as a meeting place of two worlds and two times, Here, the outer physical world's things present themselves as pictures or mental images of external present facts and come into contact with images of things no longer present in the physical world around us, but derived, some of them, from past physical facts and some of them from past imaginative activity, conscious or unconscious. In the mental process present facts meet past facts and fantasies and often it is difficult to separate the past and the present. What are the causes of the high complexity of our mental life? There are present in our minds images from our present sense organs activities, visual images from our eyes, audio images from our ears and so on. We receive some information from all our five sense organs and some from our generalized sensitivity, sensations of warmth, or cold, of varying degrees of intensity and of varying degrees of pleasure or pain, comfort or discomfort, ease or lack of it. And from inside we are acted upon by memories of past images and associated feelings. All of these mental processes, images and feelings may associate together in any order. What determines which contents of the mind will come into association? Basically, our interests, conscious or unconscious. Our conscious interests constitute hardly any problem and are relatively few. They are simply the things, events, and relationships which occupy our conscious attention at any given moment. Here, Our mental images are linked together by their relevance to our conscious purposes or projects of any kind. Usually, they have to do with our physical environment and its things and their probability of being useful to us either immediately or at a time fairly close to the present. But our unconscious interests are not all simple. Below the conscious level of our mental processes are innumerable processes started long ago at periods of our history no longer easily accessible to conscious investigation. Even the single individual has in his unconscious mind many processes which began with the setting up of purpose later on to be abandoned. When we define for ourselves a purpose as worthwhile fulfilling and decide to pursue it, we set a certain amount of energy moving in a certain direction. Once this energy is set in motion, it does not cease to move in its defined direction unless we consciously and deliberately withdraw it from this direction. But we do not often re-examine and consciously redefine our purpose and deliberately redirect the energies we have dedicated to them. Rather, we tend to let go of the purposes we have come to believe impossible to fulfil because of some difficulties or impediments to them. And we tend not to define these purposes clearly as definitely to be abandoned because of this lack of clear definition, we leave some original energy devoted to these purposes still moving towards the originally defined goals. But if a defined goal is not attained and the energy dedicated to realising it is not clearly withdrawn from its pursuit, the still-moving energy gives rise to a feeling of frustration within the unconscious mind. It is the accumulation of such feelings of frustration that add to the general discomfort and anxiety which so permeates the minds of civilized men. Frustrated energy is energy feeding anxiety states. In the depths of our unconscious mind are still persisting energies originally set in motion by consciously defined purposes of the past. These energies, although blocked in the pursuit of their original aim, do not cease their activities they continue to seek ways of self-realization and being impeded in any direct way of gaining satisfaction, they strive to attain their goals indirectly. It is because of their indirect ways of seeking satisfaction that these unconscious energies establish association links with mental contents that ordinarily they would not make. Blocked in their nearest and most logical connections, these energies make further off and less obvious connections, connections that on a surface analysis might appear to be quite illogical. Here is the explanation of much so-called irrational behaviour. Energies blocked in more direct ways of gaining their goals seek less direct ways sometimes very devious ways as the way to attaining a defined goal becomes less direct and so more devious the anxiety associated with possible failure increases anxiety and belief in the possibility of attaining one's goals are closely associated as we begin to expose to our consciousness the nature of our mental processes, we begin to see that in order to solve the problem of anxiety, we must re-examine our past purposes and eliminate those of them which are either impossible to realise or are not worthy of realisation. This Re-examination of past purposes begins when we start consciously to watch our mentational processes. For in the watching of idea sequences, we begin to see connections between our ideas and feelings, which we have not previously suspected. We begin to see that there still exists in us many purposes which we have formulated in the past and then have abandoned without clearly saying so to ourselves. We begin to see that in the past, perhaps from our earliest childhood, we have set ourselves certain objectives which we have never fulfilled, and we begin to see that these unfulfilled purposes have not been given up in the depths of our soul. Because of the impedances to their realization, we have given up putting more energy into them. But we have not fully withdrawn from these purposes the original energy which we put into them. This withdrawn energy is still at work, seeking... This withdrawn energy is still at work, seeking ways of attaining its goals, still unsatisfied and so still frustrated and so still in a state of anxiety. As we begin to understand this anxiety source and so realise the necessity of consciously giving up unrealizable purposes... Our study of our mentation processes will receive a stronger impetus, for we will recognize that anxiety decreases as unrealizable aims are freely given up. As we begin to realize consciously the relation between anxiety and frustrated energies, and begin to understand that by freely giving up purposes that cannot be attained, we can release energy that has been dedicated to the realization of such purposes. Having convinced ourselves of this, we shall begin to fit ourselves for the study of the whole pattern of life. We shall see that it is not only our own souls that are beset by anxieties, but also the souls of the human race at large. Then we shall be ready to study the principal and underlying pattern of anxiety within ourselves and in the universe as a whole. This brings us to the fourth thing we can look for and watch in ourselves the principle or the whole pattern of our action, feeling and thought. To find a principle is to find a governing concept which controls the pattern of life. It is such a pattern that we call the meaning of our activities the significance of our lives. The essence of meaning is pattern. The essence of pattern is relation of parts to a whole. The relation of a whole to its parts. When we seek the meaning of life, we look for the ways all the different things and events in life make a pattern. We look for the way in which all the different things and events in life are related together and enter into interfunction. In a universe made of energy, pattern is interfunction of forces. In a universe built essentially of power, every force put into application involves necessarily an effect on all other forces. This means that whatever we do with our energies, we shall necessarily interfere with whatever anyone else is doing, and whatever anyone else is doing must interfere with whatever we are doing. Mutual interaction is of the very essence of the universal energy.